welcome to Overdrive, a program about all sorts of things to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories, including Apple invests over $1 billion in Chinese Uber rival. We talk with Professor David Hensher from Sydney University about introducing new technology into our transport systems. We road test the Jaguar F-Type supercharged V8 convertible. Power, heaps. Style, beautiful. Sound, outrageously good. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including self-driving cars could lead to more in-car sex. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can hear longer versions of the interviews, road tests and quirky news by going to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program from iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to start the program, let's have the news. Large organisations continue to get into the transport business. Apple is signalling its future intentions with the announcement that it has just spent nearly 1.4 billion Australian dollars in a Chinese rival to ride-sharing businesses such as Lyft and Uber. DD Chuxing Technology is the largest ride-sharing service in China and accounts for nearly 90% of the country's ride-sharing business, providing as much as 11 million rides per day, the company says. This announcement comes just a few months after General Motors' company announced it was investing $500 million in Lyft, which plans to start a fully autonomous service which, they claim, could start next year. Recent analysis done by the Great Plains Institute looked at the amount of pollution resulting from using an electric car versus a normal petrol engine. They found that an electric car charged on even the dirtiest, most coal-intensive electric grid in the country has wells-to-wheels carbon emissions no higher than that of a very fuel-efficient car. In the best of cases, electric cars charged on very clean grids have such low carbon emissions associated with them that no car with a combustion engine can come anywhere near to competing. They found that electric vehicles in Minnesota provided a greenhouse gas reduction of at least 61% in most cases and 95% in many cases for vehicle charging on renewable energy subscription programs. 65% of Americans would support the use of road user fee options, such as mileage-based user fees, to help fund transport costs, according to a new American Thinks National Public Opinion survey. These new findings demonstrate a significant increase in favourability from a similar survey conducted in 2014 when 50% of respondents said they would support this approach to infrastructure funding. The survey also found that 69% agreed price-managed lanes, such as being charged a higher price for a quicker-flowing lane, should be considered when making improvements to US highways. The survey also identified the emergence of significant generational differences in how infrastructure should be funded over the next 10 years, with baby boomers the least likely to support increased taxes. 
the Hyperloop company recently conducted its first full-scale test as part of developing a transport system that, they say, will run at 1,200 kilometres an hour in a vacuum tube. As part of the test, a sled was accelerated to almost 190 kilometres an hour before coming to a stop in a sandpit. It was run to prove Hyperloop 1's propulsion system, which relies on a linear synchronous motor on the track to create an electric magnetic field that interacts with a set of permanent magnets on the sled. There were many positive media stories about the event, although the Guardian online news service said that all Hyperloop had done was show that they had reached the technological heights of a 1996-era roller coaster. Nissan and Mitsubishi Motors have signed a basic agreement to form a far-reaching strategic alliance. Nissan will take a 34% equity stake in Mitsubishi Motors for $3 billion Australian dollars. They have agreed to cooperate in areas including purchasing, common vehicle platforms, technological sharing, joint plant utilisation and growth markets. The decision appears to be focused on the Asian market more than the US market, as Nissan could stand to gain from Mitsubishi's popularity in countries including Thailand and Indonesia. Nissan and Mitsubishi already work together in Japan to produce four models. Nissan also has a cross-shareholding arrangement with Renault. Overdrive records with sadness the passing of legendary motoring writer Bill Tuckey. Tuckey was famed for starting the world's first Car of the Year award in 1963 in Australia. He was editor of Wheels magazine, raced cars at Bathurst and wrote many books. As well as writing under his own name, he created the persona of Romney Quince, a colourful character full of lyrical, perceptive and cutting observations. Quince would conduct road tests of the widest range of vehicles, including one time racing a front-end loader against one of Australia's greatest racing drivers, Frank Maddich, who drove his open-wheeler race car. Humour, rather than any real racing, was the winner. Overdrive remembers the first line of the first story we ever read by Romney Quince, which was about how he drove an MG-bodied vehicle, but with a Volkswagen engine, to a historic meeting of the MG Car Club. As a passenger, he turned to the driver and said, For God's sake, don't rivet. Apparently, your street lighting can tell a lot about your suburb. Social housing estates are brightly lit to allow for better CCTV surveillance and the prevention of antisocial behaviour and crime, whereas wealthier neighbourhoods are lit in a more aesthetically pleasing manner. According to the London School of Economics Configuring Light Research Programme, this intensifies a sense of segregation between urban areas and leads to high costs for social housing lighting. However, improved lighting can help create new ways of living in these spaces, such as allowing and encouraging children to play after dusk. And that has been the news. When the New South Wales Government in Australia held a Future of Transport Summit, One of the people they specifically invited to attend was Professor David Hencher. Professor Hencher is the founding director of the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies 
at the University of Sydney. He is an internationally recognised authority in the transport and infrastructure field and is Australia's most cited transport academic. The summit had a focus on new technologies and what they might do for future transport solutions. Attendees were not just those who had a specific interest and experience in transport, but they also included a much wider range of people who were experts or had utilised technology in their own areas of interest. I asked David if it was important for governments to take on a much wider range of people and professions if we are to make the most of technology within the area of transport. Absolutely. Um, With this digital age, we've got to recognise that there's a a whole new set of players, including the existing ones in transport, that are going to throw a different light on opportunities that we have out there to deliver better services to customers. I suppose the broad umbrella is how does technology provide new opportunities to open new doors to enhance the customer experience. You've got to be very much focused on the customer, haven't you? You don't want technology to become another supply side push without understanding exactly how it's going to work for the customer. Absolutely, David. And uh, I think the what, what that workshop did was to, in some ways, result in us asking a lot of questions as to how we could translate the new smart technologies in this digital age into opportunities to improve the mobility of, um, of, of the system to benefit individuals. And that's where I think this new idea in some, some ways an old new idea but helped by technology of mobility as a service is now going to, I think, generate a lot of interest both in terms of research and application. And we're starting to see it quite clearly in small chunks through things like Uberization of, of transportation. We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, not only in terms of cars but also buses in the moment. You went to the first sessions which had a number of keynote speakers including uh, the co-founder of Apple, Mr Wozniak, Steve Wozniak. Was there some broad thinking there? Was there some visionary sort of stuff? There was. I think the biggest challenge is the timing of of what might happen. I mean, you have on one extreme people saying that in the next five years, people won't own cars, will have driverless cars, and you'll simply uh, use your smartphone to dial up a service and it'll be delivered, the point-to-point idea. Then you get others that are somewhat agnostic by simply saying, yeah, that's coming, but in fact, we're a long way off from doing that, and we must recognise that there's a lot of institutional and regulatory issues that we've got to think about that are going to provide massive barriers. Having said that, it was rather interesting that it was hosted by New South Wales because apart from ACT and New South Wales at the moment, as I understand it, we're the only ones that have legalised the Uber-type services. And what I think New South Wales government is saying what we've got to do with all these new technologies is basically throw them into a competitive market and see what rises to the surface. And this will not only provide better services, we hope, to customers, it'll take some pressure off state budgets in terms of having to deliver what are rather tired in some senses and rather standard and maybe less effective types of transportation that we provide, e.g. fixed timetable buses. The issue is that we've often just looked at, say, travel time of the bus or the speed of the bus or the train, whereas the comfort of the customer, the awareness of where the bus is and how long they've got to wait, there's a whole pile of ways we can serve that customer other than just get them onto a seat. 
and in fact we what we're trying to do is to take the mode out of the equation and put the service into the equation and simply saying that what what sort of mixture of, of transportation can serve point-to-point -point requirements better than what we currently have. But also asking the question, David, about under what conditions can, can, can and will these sort of new technologies actually be value-adding in terms of the customer experience. They may not be the panacea for everything we're looking for. And, and to give you an example, whereas these things might work well for ex in, in the context of rural situations where there's low density, and clearly that, that conventional bus that basically drives around with fresh air most of the time apart from the driver may be a silly solution. We've always argued that, and we've even said taxis in the past, but now we're talking about the possibility of um, a point-to-point Uber-type service offering effective or more relevant service. However, having said all this, it comes at a cost. Uh, who's going to pay the fare compared with the bus fare? That's a big issue that was not talked about at the summit. Big difference in cost. And you can hear a longer interview with Professor David Hencher from Sydney University's Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies if you go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au where he discusses a range of subjects including how we really need to have a different approach to how we offer bus services. You're listening to Overdrive. The famous philosopher Descartes is best known for his expression that is generally translated as I think, therefore I am. Although he lived in the 17th century, he is synonymous with the birth of the modern age of philosophy. He was one of the principal architects of scientific thinking. All scientific explanations must be expressed in terms of precise, mathematically defined quantities. But even he thought there were things that were beyond the corporeal, the material, the tangible properties. There was a dualistic division between thinking stuff and extended stuff. Now, the Jaguar F-Type convertible is full of material excellence that can be described in numbers, the power of its engine, the speed of its performance. But there is something more ethereal than this. We will get a couple of opinions, but first, let's hear from Alan Zervis from Gay Cowboys. Alan, is it the Jaguar F-Type a work of engineering or a work of art? It is beautiful. That's what it is. Gorgeous. It's certainly something more than I want to express. The numbers, the power from its engines is just ginormous. The sound is fantastic. Yet, it's something that just you feel as though you want to look at as much as necessarily just drive. It, that's exactly right, and I think if, if, a, if a car, or I suppose anything, but if a car in particular is, uh, can be put on a poster by a 12-year-old uh, you know, boy or whatever and he just looks that up every night, I think that's a work of art. They just attract attention because they're so achingly beautiful. The thing that I like about it, and, and indeed all Jaguars, but those in particular, is that they're, they're nice standing still. But you cannot deny the numbers. The Jaguar F-Type we tested this week was the supercharged 5-litre V8 R-Spec convertible, which can be rather slow, but only in the sense that you have to wait to get going while young boys take selfies with the car in the background. $250,000 of power, art and prestige. Let's look at some of the figures. I have always loved the Pocket Rockets, the Subaru WRX and the Mitsubishi Evo. The latest Subaru WRX STI has 221 kilowatts. Its performance is wonderful. 
The V8 Jaguar does not have 221, it does not have 300, it has 404 kilowatts of power. In the old language, that's 540 brake horsepower. Now, Overdrive's Foundation members Errol Smith and Brian Smith have had a go of the vehicle. I began by asking them, is the power adequate? <laughs> it's too much power, almost. Driving through the rear wheels, it, it can be very easy to get to the point where it will break traction. But, of course, you do have electronics to try and help you control it. But it does make it a little bit rugged in the fact that you're zooming off, the thing's roaring away, and the electronics are trying to tug it into line. Look, it's a car that uh, I was quite nervous to drive, and it has uh, you know, buckets of power. It's a car I'd love to have on the track. If you have a look at some other cars, a Porsche 911, each model used to be good but not make the, the old one look bad, and I thought that was good. I think it's now almost becoming a bit of a cliché. You look at a lot of the cab forward cars, Ferrari, Lambo, even the Honda NSX. They're stunning-looking cars, but they are of a particular shape. Now, to get a long nose to work, Ferrari Daytona was pretty good, uh, but the BMW Z4 I thought was horrible. It just didn't look good. I thought this looked a lovely balance of a car in the old style of a bit of a you know reasonable sized bonnet without being out of proportion yeah 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 i mean it's a, you do, they do have to squeeze a supercharged five liter v8 <laughs> which is enormous yeah. errol of course uh, the wheels were quite significant yeah 20 inch wheels and uh, massive brakes inside those wheels 20 inch that that's in diameter or width <laughs> <laughs> they were certainly very wide, weren't they? In fact, they're about 12 inches wide on the back. It's a gorgeous car from, from pretty much every angle. How would you describe the sound of it, uh, Errol? Snap, crackle and pop. Yeah, that's an amazing concept. That There's a button on the dash that gives it its proper sports exhaust sound, and it really does make a difference. It, you can hear it bouncing back from the houses, ba 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 pop, 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 crackle as you... As you back off, I'll tell you what, David, um, you're a very hard person to be friends with. You know, the, the stealing, the cheating, the lying, the, the murdering of my brother. But I do it because every now and then I get a chance to drive a car like that. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you left a few things out there, Brian. But <laughs> That's right. You owe me money. And if you want to hear Errol and Brian wax eloquently on about the Jaguar some more, you can go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. And now we finish the program where we talk again with Brian and Errol, this time about some quirky news. Now, Brian, you start us with a story. Self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles, uh, are on the horizon. They're very close. And uh, people are spending a lot of time having a bit of a think, a bit of a look in the crystal ball uh, to see what they might mean for how we travel and uh, the other things that we do. Autonomous vehicles, because they're driven by technology, I think are starting to get a lot of parallels with uh, other digital entertainment devices. Now, uh, it's a bit of a, a known thing that um, early adoption of many high-tech devices uh, is driven by pornography and sex and self-driving cars appears are no different. Um, experts are beginning to suggest that uh, semi-autonomous vehicles or autonomous vehicles may lead to more people having sex in moving cars. 
there's some concerns about this because there's uh, issues around being able to respond quickly when the computer says to the other driver, possibly, you know, you take it over, uh, I'm in trouble. Particularly on vehicles like Tesla's autopilot, people have started engaging in what Tesla considers to be questionable practices, uh, including reading newspapers or brushing their teeth. So, David, do you think self-driving cars will generate a whole lot of sort of uh, sexual behaviour and sexual activity while people are driving? I I think if people are prepared to pick their nose at the lights, there's no limit to what they might be prepared to do in a self-driving car. The only thing is, gentlemen, we have talked in the past how we should road test cars in the future. I think this is opening up a whole new gamut of, of things that we should relate. I'm happy to road test a, a car with you, David, just not in this manner. <laughs> so my safe word is get me out of here. <laughs> well, when we go on uh, launches, we usually, they usually put two journalists in, in the car, together. car at one time. And the majority of those are males. Some of them that would be appealing, but uh, others perhaps not. The thing about this, might it change the interior of cars? Yeah. The whole idea of a layback seat takes on a whole new meaning. Mm -hmm. A bit more shag pile carpet on the inside. (laughs) It redefines four on the floor. People are talking about autonomous vehicles not being very attractive. I mean, uh, they're going to become very boxy and practical, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, it might be a concern that uh, you, you may need some some interior that's uh, a little more emotive and and attractive if you're driving just a box. A mirror on the ceiling, <laughs> or your know, big velvet curtains. Well, I, I was wondering about the curtains. I was wondering uh, at what point will self-driving cars with, with self-driving cars will it be legal to have curtains all around? Or uh, tinting that can be turned on and off. You can do this now. Yes. Electronic um, thinking, uh, yes. Yeah, glass that changes uh, uh, its... Uh, Transparency. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> you can blank the whole thing out and, uh, and get up to anything at all. The only thing I've got to say is it sort of takes it, the fun out of it when you make it so easy. I don't know about you, but... Uh, David, I think there's still fun in it. Oh, well, yes, yes. But, I mean, there was that sort of adventure. You, you had to be, I think, younger and more lithe and more flexible in, in the time. I mean, what you get the Mile High Club. What good is that when you book a plane with a private room? That's right. It's, where's the risk? Yes, it takes the risk mm-hmm. out. Excitement. What happens if you have an accident? I mean, a car accident. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in nine months' time, you, I guess you find out the results. Autonomous cars have said that they might mean that people move further away in the city because they can... Get in the car and do something else while the car is moving. Mm. Now, because with sex, you always want to have an excuse. Darling, I would have gone on longer, but we've got to our destination. (laughs) Or if if you're very good, then maybe the car will want to keep going around the block for a while. That's right. Once more around the block, thanks, Jeeves. Sex and travel has been rather... You know, the first woman in a balloon flight, her name was Letitia Ann Sage. And she was to go in a balloon flight, it was in about the 1850s, I think, with two people, Vincento Lunardi and a bloke by the name of George Biggins. As they were about to take off, Lunardi fell out. They had a modesty curtain so the lady could get into it, and she took that on board. Apparently, as they were getting near the end of the story, so the official thing goes, she knelt down and refastened the curtain securely while Biggin steadied her 
particularly. Uh, some people suggest that might have been a bit of spin and their, their actual activity was, well, shall we say, on the blue ride they went all the way. <laughs> well, it's the first time for everything, David, isn't it? There's a whole pile of stories from patrolmen who've gone out to fix up cars only to find that uh, people whose feet have gone up, the Volkswagens used to have a little switch up under the dashboard that turned the petrol off. And they found that in a number of occasions that had been done accidentally. Accidentally by feet. Yeah, so if my self-driving car is rocking, don't come and rock <laughs> It might be a self-driving uh, activity, Errol. <laughs> I'm used to autonomous, autonomous activity. What sort of electronic assistance have you got? <laughs> yes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Errol, you have a story. Well, someone with a dark sense of humour in Canada has created a billboard that encourages people to text and drive as an advertisement for a funeral home. Except those visiting the website for the funeral home presumably to complain about their poor taste, find that it's actually a public service ad discouraging people from driving while texting. And Queensland University of Technology researchers are looking into how effective humour like this is, uh, especially when, is, is effective, especially when conveying road safety messages to young drivers who don't respond to preachy or fear-based ads. They point to the success of the Ghost Chips ad in New Zealand, which was a hit with young drivers because it was funny but still conveyed a serious message. Now, if Ghost Chips doesn't make any sense, um, search for that on online and you'll find the video. They did a couple of clever ads in New Zealand. There was the young kids who were sitting behind the wheelers of a car as it was parked and they were pretending they were acting like their dad does when he gets on marijuana going to get stoned and the the kids were about eight or nine they're very good actors and it was very very clever so maybe that was a little bit of humor i'm 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 a little cautious of it there was i always had a person a friend who once said that she loved the batman story where he grabs a rope by his teeth to save himself and then when it's all over, he turns to Robin and says, you see, I, I was saved by dental hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> and our extended interview with Brian and Errol can be heard on our website at drivenmedia.com.au where we cover other subjects including India tries out optical illusion speed humps and in the UK, school parents to get parking training for dropping off their children. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of the features, road tests and quirky news on our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.